when you hear this argument for the first time, um, where does your brain go? It doesn't go down. anywhere. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I set you up for that. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast created by the Jack's Way Collective. We're a group of friends who like to talk about philosophy, fiction, and whatever else is on our minds. Thank you very much for listening. Now let's get to the show. Ham on Rye, post office. Ham on uh, Rye. Yes. My favorite piece of literature, <laughs> Ham on Rye. Come on, he's one of the biggest like misogynist like <laughs> people ever. But like straight white dudes fucking love him. He's like college broy, broy like oh. wet dream shit. Oh. So if a, if so if a girl comes over, make sure to hide those books. Yeah, <laughs> we have it. We have one of his books of poems on our toilet, which I think is perfectly appropriate. Fitting. Yeah. Hmm. Who is your most like shameful author owned in your book collection? Aside from him, if anybody's shameful book owning anything but Ayn Rand, <laughs> <laughs> mine, mine Ayn is John Rand. Grisham. John Grisham, are you That's my pretty mom? Pretty embarrassing. <laughs> That's killer. That's not that embarrassing. <laughs> uh, well, like when I found out he was ghost written, I was like, oh, that's embarrassing. He's ghost written. Wow, I was today years old when I found that out. I can't believe I have to tell my mom that. <laughs> that hurts. Dude, I wouldn't break the news. Yeah, I would just I let her live. I don't know, man. Let her live Let her live the lie. That's what the Kindle was invented for, to hide, <laughs> to hide all your the fucking embarrassing books. books. <laughs> John Grisham was meant for the Kindle. Okay, I really do want one of the two of you to do the intro, though. I want you to just wing it, and it's episode 16, and... You know what we're reading. Welcome to episode 16 of the Jacksway Collective. My name is Brendan. I'm joined, as always, by Oliver, Yana, and Sarah. Today we are going to be discussing the paper Brains in a Vat by Hilary Putnam. Brilliantly done. Like, not even a pause between me throwing it at you. (laughs) Wow. I think you've just, like, overtaken Oliver and myself. That was, like, the 100-meter dash. (laughs) We're going to have to get Vlad to, like edit that for posterity and just place that at the beginning of all of our episodes. And then we now. just like cut out the words. <laughs> the 16. By. 17. <laughs> just insert a robotic voice at the different episodes. Yes, We're going to need a, like a Brendan 16. soundboard. See, this is why you guys do like the intro, the outro, whatever. You have that presence, you know? I just... It took like 12 episodes to get there, though. <laughs> so are we there? I don't know about that. But. I can't wait for the next episode. It's like, we're going to be reading the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please do that, Yana? Edit like a robot voice. For <laughs> brains in a vat. Does anybody else sing Dick in a Box when they see my brains in a Yeah, vat? yeah. I'm so glad the you said that. Time. It's my brain, brain in, in a vat, girl. It's my dick in a box. I'm sure that's what Putnam wanted. Thank you for like putting that inside of my head now to think about it as I try and <laughs> every time <laughs> analyze a philosophy paper um who picked it that Brendan Brendan you picked the story yep. well how would you pick such a story oh, it's not man. even a story it's a philosophy paper <laughs> let me 
So seeing as that I picked the story, I guess I will do a, a full introduction of Brains in a Vat because mm. I think everybody knows Brains in a Vat as the philosophy paper most likely written after a bong toke. Um, <laughs> I personally read this paper back in first year philosophy course, and I have to be quite honest with you, back then I understood it even less than I do now, and after a full two classes worth of discussion, like... I still have the faintest of faintest grasps on what this paper is really about. However, the brains in a vat possibility, the situation, I think is something that opens up a lot of lateral movement for further discussion. And what I was hoping to take the discussion was in more of the uh, the consequences of a brains in a vat simulation reality, which really differs from what the paper is truly discussing, which is why I'm going to defer into more of a microanalysis of what the paper is discussing to Yana, our resident explainer in command. Oh my God, that's high praise. Can I match it? <laughs> well, I mean, as Brennan said, we're going to try and like explain the paper. I will try and do so having taken zero courses on it. So yeah, I guess I guess like where does this paper come from? Why is something like a brain in a vat even a question in philosophy? It seems kind of strange. So I'm gonna do my best to kind of just give some background as to why this is even a philosophical inquiry in the first place. So I guess like the broad branch of philosophy this comes from is uh, epistemology. So this is the branch of philosophy that kind of asks the questions of what can we know? How can we know? And can you prove that you do in fact know what you know? So uh, the question becomes, how can we know things? <laughs> do we know things? What do we know? Let's, Let's find, find out. out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there are kind of two historical kind of branches within epistemology. The first is called empiricism. So empiricism is um, the field that claims that we gain our knowledge through our sense data. Um, so things like vision, smell, touch, etc. So I can say something like, there is a mountain over there because I can see there is a mountain over there. This is just a very like basic outline of empiricism and how we get knowledge from our senses. But as we know, senses can be very unreliable. And in almost every case, they are not a sufficient means of gaining knowledge because our senses deceive us all the time. Think about something like a mirage as you walk through the desert and you think that you see that sweet, sweet water on the horizon and it never reaches you. At that moment when you see that there's no water, you make the realization that empiricism is not right. Empiricism is wrong. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? <laughs> senses betray. The senses betray. So... If not empiricism, what uh, what else can we look to? And this is actually the other branch, which is called rationalism. So this is um, a way of acquiring knowledge outside of our sense data. So, for example, how is it that we know that 2 plus 2 equals 4 or that all triangles have three sides? There is nothing that we get in terms of input from sense data that tells us that 2 plus 2 equals 4. There seems to be something inside us or something in our intuitions that tells us that this is in fact true. So this is the kind of other side where knowledge comes not from sense data and experience, but from our rational capacities as human beings. So how does this connect to the paper? Uh, we're actually going to go back to Rene Descartes, and he is actually the person who 
um, came up with rationalism. Maybe there was someone before him who I don't know, but we're going to start with Descartes. <laughs> and so he simultaneously brings up rationalism as a way to acquire knowledge, but then also through his famous evil demon experiment asks and throws that into doubt as well. He basically says that, okay, what if our intuitions themselves and what if um, um, this seeming, this seeming that two plus two equals four is actually implanted inside of us or the product of an evil demon or perhaps an evil scientist who has just programmed that seeming into us. And so the brain in a vat argument is basically just an extension of this. What if there is a reality that is atom by atom, sensory data by sensory data, identical to the world of ours? What can we do to prove that we are not in that world? In other words, what can we do to prove that we are not living in a world where our experience is determined by an evil genius or our experience is determined by our brain being in a vat hooked up to some computer simulating all of the sense data and rationalism that we have inside of us. And the answer is we actually don't have a way to prove that we are not here. So Descartes is not saying we are in fact brains in a vat or we are in fact controlled by an evil demon. What he is saying and the argument of skepticism is saying is that we have no way to prove that we are not. So this is why it's called skepticism, just because everything is now in jeopardy. So little side note, though, like if we are in a vat, kudos to us, kudos to humans for, you know, being able to create things and make a podcast. And we've done well for do ourselves stuff. for having no bodies. Yeah, like we, all, we do all these things. And if we are in a vat, then I think we deserve a pat on the back for that. <laughs> We're making the most of our vat experience. <laughs> It's our brains in a vat. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Um, okay, so where does this paper come in? This paper is not really outlining um, a position of skepticism. What Hillary Putnam is trying to do is saying that the saying that we are brains in a vat is actually self-defeating because of the way that we use language and that we ascribe meaning to things. So what he is trying to make the argument is basically that when we say we are brains in a vat, this is just a logically incoherent sentence and it defeats itself. Similar to the way that saying something like all general statements are false or there are no universal truths are self-defeating. Because of course, if there are no universal truths, then the statement there are no universal truths would actually be a universal truth. So the statement is incoherent. And so he wants to make the same analog to us saying, we are brains in a vat. And so the paper is basically him trying to make that argument. So he's saying that it's the statement that doesn't make sense, but the possibility of us being brains in a vat is still a possibility. It's just the statement that doesn't make sense. No, I think that he's saying that us, like there might be a world in which there are people who are brains in a vat and they say their brains in a vat is possible, but it is not us. This is a pause sidebar. Are we going to like explicitly spell out like what the thought experiment is? Like we've been talking about brain in a vat simulation, but like for people who didn't know, AKA me, like an actual like disembodied brain. I don't want this on a thing like in a fucking jar hooked up to a computer I actually have, a re I have the passage brought up here. I can read the passage. So in the situation, the case of the brains in a vat, here's the, here's the hypothetical that is outlined by Hillary Putnam. 
Here is a science fiction possibility discussed by philosophers. Imagine that a human being has been subjected to an operation by an evil scientist. The person's brain has been removed from the body and placed in a vat of nutrients which keeps the brain alive. The nerve endings have been connected to a super scientific computer, super scientific, which causes the person <laughs> whose brain it is to have the illusion that everything is perfectly normal. There seem to be people, objects, the sky, etc., but really, all the person is experiencing is the result of electronic impulses traveling from the computer to the nerve endings. The com computer is so clever that if the person tries to raise his hand, the feedback from the computer will cause him to see and feel the hand being raised. Moreover, by varying the program, the evil scientist can cause the victim to experience or hallucinate any situation or environment the evil scientist wishes. So you can see how this plays into empiricism, where all of the sensory data is being simulated and controlled by an external being, such that the experiences lead us to certain conclusions. Mm -hmm. And even our rational capacities are also being programmed in the same way. Two plus two equals four can just be just as programmed inside of our experience, and we can have the intuition that that's true strictly because it is programmed into us. There is nothing like we now have no access to whatever the actual truth of that is. And so this is where epistemology comes in, is we have no way for us to say that we are not that. We cannot point to anything from our experience, and we cannot use our rational capacity in any way to say that we are not this exact thing you just described, Brendan. Okay, so how do we feel about this? What about just when you hear this argument for the first time, um, where does your brain go? <laughs> it doesn't go down. anywhere. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I set you up for that. <laughs> Stays right in the jar. <laughs> oh my God. It goes, oh. thank God, that explains a lot. <laughs> okay, well, okay, before we get into like his argument at all, like what about just the brains in a bad argument? Is this like compelling to you at all? Like, do when you hear an argument like this, are you just thinking that this is a fucking joke or is there? do you at all have now doubts about your existence? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think it's meant to put seeds of doubt in anyone's mind. Rather, just facilitate a discussion around further possibilities of what it means to exist, as well as making us question that which is beyond the bounds of the earth that we walk upon. I think a similar... A similar comparison could be made between the situation that's been defined. I mean, as you mentioned, Descartes did a similar thought experiment with the evil demon. And you look at the way that it's tied to a lot of our theological practices of a greater being. It's easy to think of this simulation as a discussion that really pertains to like some of the more fatalistic theories of determinism, of destiny, of something having like a spiritual guidance to it. Um, and that's why I think this is an interesting discussion to have is because while it may be the science fiction approach, it still takes that science fiction kind of way of taking something absurd, putting it within these different bounds and having it reflect the absurdity of the situation in itself. Questions. Hop on board. All I have are questions. Well, hit us with the question. Yeah, okay. Why not? Yeah. Question discussion number podcast. one. I don't know like what the conditions of the thought experiment are, like if all of them have to be met. But if Putnam says that intention is necessary for representation, again, his examples about the ant and Churchill and like Ollie, you said, the trees on the planet, what exactly 
is the intent or the motivation behind this evil scientist for the brain in the vat. But he also went on, he went on to say that it might not even be an evil scientist. It might just be this collective hallucination, right? That it's like self-run. Yeah, there might not be a human being behind it with an intention or even just any sort of being. So no motivation. Per, maybe. I mean, is that, that might be even more troubling. <clears throat> okay, that's fine. That's sure. That okay. Yeah, I, I don't. Like, I think like evil scientist or not, the same kind of concerns apply. Yeah. So it terrifies you then, Yana? Oh no, not me! Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think fine. there's a little bit? I don't of, know. Like, For me, like although rationalization going I, on within yourself that like there's a refusal to believe it. I certainly counterintuitive like, for sure on like a human level kind of thing. I don't know if I'm just a cynic, but I was like, I don't fucking care. Which is probably, like, the right answer. Yeah, yeah there's nothing yeah, we can do about it, either or. Whoever's running the show, like, I'm fine with it. They've been doing an okay job so far, so. And it's, like, not clear to me that knowing whether you are just a brain in a vat or you have come about, your existence has come about through some other organic process, whether or not that adds or reduces value to a life lived there's, it's not obvious to me that if we found out, like, okay, we are now in a collective hallucination, our lives become somehow less valuable or meaningful. But wasn't one of Putnam's arguments that we can't be a brain in a vat because if we were, like, the computer simulation wouldn't allow us to have that thought? Kind of. So that, like, disproves that we aren't. I think, so, like, let me try and maybe explain how he uses this, like, little language game to, to make the case. I'm going to use the example of you have something like water. So you can have three different people from three totally different times of history. You can have a child, you can have a medieval peasant, and you can have a chemist. All three of these totally different people can refer to water as the same thing. Not, they are not referring to water as the same thing because the ideas in their heads are identical. The chemist obviously thinks about water in terms of chemical compounds and how it has come about. The medieval peasant probably thinks about about how fucking scarce it is and how he needs it for sustenance and his crops. Thirsty AF. And the kid is probably just like, yeah, sure, water is great. I can't believe my parents forced me to drink this. And I, like, where's Then why did he think it's great, Yana? <laughs> why spread those Tell lies? <laughs> Bath time. <laughs> Bath, okay, there we go. Bath time. <laughs> it's the association. Okay, so so they can all refer to water as water because they have matched their idea of what water is with their relationship to the thing that is water. So what Hillary Putnam is saying is that there needs to be some sort of causal connection or some sort of logical causal chain between the object, water, and our thought of it inside of our head and what we do when we say there is water there. So when a person says, I am a brain in a vat, if they are actually a brain in a vat, then those words would only meaningfully map onto the abstract inner idea of a brain in a vat and not the actual object because they would never have been exposed to the actual object of a brain in a vat because if they are just a brain in a vat simulating things, they would only be exposed to things like the mental images of a brain in a vat or the, the, the concept, the abstract concept. They would not have this relationship between physical object and idea in head. There would be no causal connection between those two things. Um, so is it similar to the alien seeing the tree then? I think so, yeah. 
because uh, uh, just as the alien looks at a tree and actually now has this perfect visual representation of what a tree looks like, that piece of paper he looks at just happened to be like some random blot of paint. And so he doesn't actually know what a tree is, I guess, would be the argument. So because the person in the brain in a vat, like, so say he is in a brain in a vat, and that is true. He can say, I'm a brain in a vat, and only uh, will he then bring up mental images of a thing, not the actual real physical object, because he has no relationship with the actual physical object. So we can only understand something like a skeptical argument that we are a brain in a vat because we have actually encountered the real brains. We know we have a relationship between our idea and a head and a physical object of a brain and a vat. We can only understand the skeptical argument because we have relationships with these objects. And if we have that kind of real physical relationship with them, then we're not brains in a vat. Let's not forget that this is a podcast so they can rewind and listen again. So one of the things that I was really starting to dwell on with this whole brains in a vat situation, it's a thought that I kind of kept coming back to ever since we covered it in that class would be, of course, what are the consequences of being a brain in a vat in a simulation? And there were two situations that I could imagine that I thought would have very different impacts on the human psyche. The first would be if we were born and we knew, or I shouldn't say born, we came into existence and we were aware of the fact that we were brains in a vat from the get-go. The second situation being, what if that revelation was something that came out tomorrow? How would that affect human behavior? And the way that I see it is that, just as I was explaining before with how like these kind of absurd situations of science fiction can be applicable to life, I mean, ultimately, you can think of the simulation as being life itself. And even if we were aware of what the simulation would be, we would be so unaware of what the alternative would be, what the outside would be, that I feel like the typical constraints of life as we know it would be something that would continue even through the simulation. A lot of the same structures that we have in society, a lot of our same belief systems, Uh, They would continue our sense of morality, our sense of ethics. I think those would continue. Um, Whereas the alternative situation of the revelation coming out, while I think it would cause initial unrest, it would be something that eventually found that same safe societal equilibrium where a lot of the commonalities that we know today would be consistent. And that's where I get really, really fascinated with this thought experiment is because I think there's some element of it that shows that human behavior would be something that would be consistent regardless of life or simulation because it's simply the terminology that's changing in that possibility. I think this, the, the way that I phrased it in the chat group leading up to this was, you know, what would the external be if not just a different word for the afterlife? Quick question, building on... Your second question, who would reveal this information to us 
And would we believe that person even? Or not even, it might not even be a person. Like, how would this information be revealed to us? Or how, ass- like, what do you think? Let's assume for the sake of the thought experiment that it's coming from a position of authority that people would take as, at face value. Just for the sake of the thought experiment, because I can't imagine someone in a, in such a position of authority that if they were to reveal, reveal that information, it would actually be believed to be true. Um, however, let's just assume for the sake of the discussion that that is a possibility. He basically just said everything that Yana said in reverse, where he's like, hey, like, we, we know about brains and vats, so like, we got to be them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think just to like, kind of add an analog to your initial like, question of what would happen if we were born knowing that we were in a simulation versus what happens if we found out tomorrow. I, I think about it in the same way. Like You could say, like, what is the difference between human beings being born living with aliens versus finding out that there are aliens tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Because when Can't you, you are, only really answer one of those questions, though? You can only answer the, the second question. You would never be able to articulate what the first one would be, right? I think so, because there would be nothing to compare it to, which is why I think about if we... It's, it's strange to me if we enter into being with the knowledge that we are a simulation... That's strange because, like, what, like, what is there being simulated? Like, well, it just seems like of, that. Like, it just seems like that would just be existence. That's itself, kind of my right? point, like, though. Exactly. Just like it would be just the norm that you are with aliens. Exactly. Right? Like, I don't think there's a lot in what we experience in life that is so intrinsically tied to the situation that we're in that they would be broken off if we were to be placed inside of a simulation of what we currently know to be true. I don't think there's anything intrinsically tied to our natural existence that would not carry over uh, in the simulation because of the societal practices and the human behavior that fosters that outcome. Yeah, you think that they would be basically indistinguishable or just yeah. indistinguishable. But doesn't stop. it depend what kind of society you're in? Like if you... Let's assume like all the constraints are the same okay. in the simulation and But in even... Life. Like, say if you go to a different country and society is a lot different, if you found out you were in a simulation, wouldn't you strive to change that had you known versus us who live in a relatively comfortable society where like, eh, all right, simulation, whatever, things are pretty good for us versus if you were somewhere else where there was a lot of civil unrest or poverty, like, wouldn't you be more inclined to change the simulation like hack into the system kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, not to always bring it back to pop culture, but like Matrix that shit. Does like does like knowing that it's a simulation make you feel like you have more power to change it, or vice versa? Would would mm. it, knowing you're in a simulation make you feel a lot more faded to the outcomes that you're witnessing? Yeah, that's a possibility for sure. And does that change on society by society basis? I guess, like, to me, just as it's not clear to me whether or not it adds any more or less or takes away any value, it's not clear to me whether it adds or reduces any amount of autonomy either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because to me, to me, what feels, what I'm most naturally inclined to believe is that to use the terminology of simulation and life would be a matter of pure semantics in this case, but it's true. Like there is a connotation to the term simulation. And if we were to assume that all other things are to be remaining consistent, 
then that connotation would likely exist within the simulation itself. Maybe that would be something that does impact human behavior. Now, I doubt like the societal structures would change, but in terms of outcomes, maybe that would have an impact. I just think it's one thing to say that if you found out it was a simulation, things are fine, like let's just keep it status quo. But if things weren't fine, you would want to change the status quo. So are you speaking to the situation then when it's revealed that we're within a simulation? Yes. Yeah. Or what if we are in a simulation, but the authorities <laughs> don't want to tell us we're in a simulation? It's you the break man, us out, Neo. man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, well, I don't know. Tell me if you think this is wrong, but I feel like human beings like there to be a kind of natural flow to things. They like naturalism. They like things like the cycle of karma and things just kind of moving on. Um, Horoscopes. Or whatever it is, right? Like the, the moon phases or the tides or whatever the fuck it is that is some sort of natural movement of the earth. Yeah, well, we always want something to map onto. Yeah, and so like, so if we map it onto a simulation, something that seems more synthetic and artificial and manufactured, do we have a resistance to that as opposed to us not having a resistance to the natural flow of time or natural whatever else? But how much of that like naturalistic tie, the naturalistic practices? Wow, Yana. Wow, Wow. Wow. Oh, oh, oh my God. Come, Come on. on. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. got to leave that part in, Yana. Your shame must be revealed. To the oh, God. Oh, God. I I've lost my train of thought. Google execs. You can't keep your notifications under oh, control. Oh. Um, sorry, I've totally thrown us off the rails. I think I think the point that I was going to get to before uh, before a notification came in <laughs> uh, was we may have ties to like the natural elements of the world, and we may imprint. At least I believe it's it's an imprint of certain human practices on nature, like moon cycles. I I don't know. That that's not about. I'm not about that. Wait, wait what? What? Well, no, I believe in. I believe in the moon cycles. Okay, thank like, you, I just, thank you, thank you. I, I I don't think it's like he doesn't believe in astrology. Is what he's trying to yeah, say? Yeah, astrology. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't believe in the moon. <laughs> Show me it's the just, moon. It's just a block of cheese floating around in the same vat as your brain. Exactly. <laughs> it's God. just gravitating around, <laughs> and it's a nice evil side. Just drop the cheese. <laughs> oh shit better call it the moon <laughs> Christ um, I don't know I think like if if we were to believe that in the simulation um, and you knew it was a simulation all things remaining constant um, would we not just imprint some human qualities or certain elements of human existence onto other things within the simulation would we not still form similar structures as astrology, but just based off of new things. And I think that's where the conversation gets interesting because how much of what we know around us is derivative of the life that we know and how much of it is derived purely from human existence and human qualities, which would translate over to the simulation. So you're saying we would just kind of naturally make the evil scientist our cult leader or like our religion and we would well, let's, just let's let's take the evil scientist out of it because okay. like 
the what, what if he's just like computer, mm-hmm. the thing? Yeah, collective hallucination, thing. whatever yeah. it is. The yeah. thing. Well, maybe it's a nice scientist. You know, he's like, oh boy, here I go simulating again. <laughs> I'm gonna make another ice cream shop on the corner. And like, that's also what I'm confused about with the brain in a vat. Like, it does it have negative connotations, or is it benign? Or maybe the negative <laughs> connotations yeah. make the thought experiment interesting. interesting. Okay. Yeah, that I think that's sense. a great like, point. If it was, if it was a nice, nice thing, thing, maybe people wouldn't even be interested in this as a philosophical, philosophical discussion. discussion. Because yeah. they use the words evil scientists, not me. And like it start evil demon, right? Like mm-hmm. the evil that is there, right? Because there's something that we don't like about the thought of it. Something malignant, like controlling us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It also makes like the notion of disproving it, I think, a lot more weighty as well. When you're disproving a, a significantly more negative alternative. It's interesting that we like simultaneously want to give ourselves over to higher powers, but are also resistant to knowing exactly what the higher power is and what its capabilities is over us, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, basically religion versus something uh, like this, and which makes me think that, okay, f- tomorrow we find out that we are brains in a vat. I think people would become immediately resistant to that, even if it was proved. I don't subscribe to that religion. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and the same would apply to religion, Right, we simultaneously want to have this search for the unknowable, but also don't want to know everything. So I feel like the revealing of yes, okay, this is exactly our existence. Of course, people would be resistant to that because we always want to be searching for it, which is why religions are effective because they don't give a full, cohesive, and comprehensive answer to such a question. But what they do do is provide you with a constant um, um, method of chasing it. Can we get some more synonyms for that, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fucking Full, saying cohesive, that. cohesive, comprehensive. Yeah, some strategic editing is going to oh, go Oh, so that's what you were laughing at? <laughs> yeah. I was laughing at the fact Doo-doo. that he said doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, way to shit on religion, Yana. <laughs> oh, my God. How about we switch over to that that thought experiment then? Like, tomorrow, news breaks. We're all in a simulation. What do you do? Ew, who's been ha- watching me have sex in the simulation? I hope they weren't paying premium for that. Oh. <laughs> no, I maybe, meant for maybe. me. Oh. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> I was talking for myself. God. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe if we found out, maybe all of us would become really self-conscious. How so? It'd be like, all our own if we knew, show. If we, like, let's, okay, we're... Um, bringing back the scientist and maybe he has a team and we find out we're in a vat, maybe our actions would be, we'd be really self-conscious about what we do because we know someone is like up there seeing us do these things. We're in a fishbowl. Do you think Christians are super self-conscious about God watching their every move? Some of them are. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Corner them. <in> this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shit, dude. Um, you enter into this kind of like surveillance, if that's the case, right? If you always think that there's someone watching over you. But again, you're, like you said, it's no different from religion. What about on a more broad level, not an individual level, if you found out? Yeah, that's another interesting one. Because every single person I've posed this to, I've, I've talked to a couple of people about this outside. Sorry, guys, I have like one other friend. Mm. Um, 
But when I pose this question to people, they all say the same thing, which is like, get prepped for the mass suicides. And I don't really? think, I don't wow. think that would be the case. Uh, no, I think a lot of people, when you pose that situation to them, they assume that outside the simulation is going to be a continuation of what we come to know in the simulation. And the assumption that that external world is the same as within the simulation and the simulation is a representation of the external world, I think that's that's a false assumption to make and would definitely lead to some adverse behavior because people would be assuming that they can get to that external world. But if if that news were to break and people were smart enough to not make that assumption, I think societally as a whole, there would be, for the most part, a continuation of the existence we've already known because it's not so much the fear of death that is instilled in human beings. Yes, from a very naturalistic uh, psychological perspective, it's a fear of death, but it's more so a fear of the unknown, a fear of what comes next. What is it that we don't know beyond the realm of our living existence? And that's why I feel like a lot of the same societal structures would be in place is because that human nature, that fear of the opposite, of the unknown, of death, of whatever you want to call it, that would be consistent in this experience. Can you die in a simulation? Yeah, would you still call it death? A seizing of existence. <laughs> a deletion. I declare yes. death. Deleting the code. <laughs> what did you mean exactly, Brendan, by when you were talking about something about afterlife? Oh, oh, um... The external world would be like the new afterlife? Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like... Um, the outside of the simulation world, you mean? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it would yeah. be treated the same way. You're right. It's like it's still no different other than like the naming convention that yeah, you use, people right? would theorize what the external world would be like. Some people who have more benevolent ideologies would think of like the pleasant afterlife... Uh, I think right. people who are more like cynical would think of it as more of like a hellish existence. So, okay. Let what me throw was your like friend's a... reasoning again for the mass suicides? Well, they were just Probably like, or the simulation, or maybe computer, we'd kill ourselves. Maybe yeah, religions like... would justify, like maybe religions would justify the simulation and they'd say, well, God created the simulation. Mm-hmm. And then exactly. just keep living the way you are because you're still going to go to heaven. What would you title your self-help book in the simulation world? If you had to write one, <laughs> how to make friends and influence people in the simulated world. Turn that simulation into stimulation. <laughs> Seven effective steps for success in the simulation. <laughs> well, yeah. So please, please, please send us more emails. Um, we do want to engage with the audience more. Um, I, I love our intro discussions, especially when provided by the likes of people like Ted. But yes, emails, jacksway.collective at gmail.com. Whatever it is, please send that our way. I think we mentioned this before, but we're going to try and have more guests on the podcast as well. I think we have um, one for sure locked in. Um, So we're going to be kind of rotating chair style this year, I think, as people switch in and out. So just a good way for us to bring on some new people and get get some some fresh perspectives. Yeah. So hot in here. I've had to take my ring off because my fingers have swollen so much. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) Oh, I thought you meant like it just like slipped off naturally from the sweat. No, it was I've just getting been, like, too tight. I've been rubbing like the clamminess of my hands off onto my shirt every 30 seconds. Like. Okay, I, I actually, I, uh, I've got a bit of a bone to pick. I've got a bit of a rant here. <laughs> okay. Because yes. the other day I was in a meeting 
And I went to shake someone's hand. It was the same thing. Like the room was super, super hot. And I go to shake his hand. And like, I knew perfectly well that like my hand was a little bit sweaty. And like, he made a face and declared to the whole room, wow, I didn't expect that to be so clammy. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. That's such a dick move. Expose him right now. No, I can't. I'm not going to expose this person. (laughs) But man, you don't do that. Like, Tell us off. Off I'll, I'll say off that? camera. I'll say off of the recordings who it is. I'm not gonna out them publicly, but I just I have but to get it out there. <laughs> get like, it out there. Like I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Sometimes my body runs a little bit hot. Sometimes my hands get a little bit sweaty. Sometimes I it gets me more nervous. Me getting having sweaty hands makes me more nervous, and my hands get more sweaty. I <laughs> I will try everything within my power to try and make my hands as dry as possible at that point of contact, but I can't control it. Do not out me as the person with the sweaty hands. <laughs> like the I'm guy pulls so out and to himself like, before shaking your hand. One time in grade six, I was holding hands with my boyfriend at the time, and we were watching. You had a boyfriend in grade six? Okay, it was like Holy you shit. know, boyfriend. Oh, okay. Anyways, we watched the an entire Star Wars movie holding hands, and it was like the wettest, clammiest <laughs> hand holding experience. Ever and yeah, such a long time. No one wanted to let go, but clearly it had to fucking happen because the palms they were sweating. Because you know how Star Wars the credits are long. <laughs> like in that moment, you're probably like, we've been holding hands for a long time. Two hours later, we've been holding hands for a long time. And yeah, oh we my could God. barely hold hands. They were so slippery. You're just like watching the credits. Like, has George Lucas even gone by yet? <laughs> Oh my god! And it wasn't even a good Star Wars movie. Oh god, one of the prequels. Yeah, that hurts. And then it's a waste of good clam juice on the hands. (laughs) (laughs) um, Brandon has clammy hands. Jesus. Okay, let's wrap it up. Um, I wanted to wrap it up as soon as someone said clam juice to refer to my sweat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever felt more insecure. And now I'm now I'm thinking of the sound you make when you have clams. <laughs> That's oysters. Oh, my bad, my bad. That's oysters. Oh, we've totally lost this one. Anyways, <laughs> that about does it for mm-hmm. us here on the Jack Swate Collective. That was episode sixteen on Hillary Putnam's brain in a vat. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you love it? Leave a comment. Leave a review. Engage with us online because we don't have a lot of engagement at the moment and we'd like to improve that. Next episode, we're going to be going over The Mortal Immortal by Mary Shelley. So be sure to join us as Yana guides us down a field of discussion around whatever the book is about. I haven't read it yet. Mortal (laughs) Immortality. Let's leave it at that. Thank you, everyone. Peace. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>